all women's football and soccer fans, welcome to another episode of the Women's Soccer Football Podcast. My name is Bryce, and welcome to the YouTube channel. For those of you who are new, for those of you who have been coming in for each episode, I appreciate every single one of you. Wow, a lot of things happened in the world of women's football this week. We had the NWSL draft, which took place last night. I'm currently airing this on January 14th, so it took place last night. And almost into past midnight, if you're on the East Coast, and if you're over in the UK, it most certainly went into um, your 14th as well. So it was quite a long draft, but we'll get into that a little bit later. But before we get into the content for this evening, let's set the scene a little bit. So it is January 14th, 2021. Thank goodness it's not 2020 anymore. It's 4.15 p.m. in the afternoon Central Time because I'm here in the Midwest. The part of the Midwest that's still in central time, of course. Uh, it's not snowing outside. It's been fairly mild temperatures. It went to above freezing. It's like 35 out right now. I didn't make any coffee right now because I'm currently in my fasting phase yet. So after I get done with this podcast, you best believe I'm going to run downstairs and grab as much food as I possibly can, as well as a plain donut with some coffee. For those of you who follow me on Instagram, you probably see on my story each and every day that I post a picture of a coffee mug and my cylindrical uh, donut. It's plain. I like to stick with uh, plain and simple because it just tastes really good when I dip it into my coffee. And uh, that's where that's coming from. So uh, let's just get into our first segments of the evening then. So first, as promised, segment one, the featured content of the week. So for this particular week, the featured content is going to be the account She's a Baller, which you can find on Instagram. There's no spaces in any of those words. It's literally She is a Baller, or I believe it's She's a Baller. Yeah, so S-H-E-S-I-S-A-B-A-L-L-E-R. If you go on Instagram and type that in, you will most certainly find them. Really awesome content, really awesome account. It's just promoting the women's game much like we like to do here on this channel. And it highlights different goals. It just keeps you up to date with news from around the world in the terms of women's soccer or WOSO. For those of you who like the abbreviated version of that, it's a phenomenal account. It's a ton of fun. And uh, check it out if you're looking for something different and fun. So let's get into the second segment of the evening, which is going to be the Women's Footballer of the Week. I have chosen to select two, so this will be women's footballers of the week rather than the women's footballer of the week. So the women's footballer of the week is going to be Fran Kirby of Chelsea. If you didn't get a chance to watch Chelsea and Reading play, I'm very sorry that you missed out. If you haven't seen it yet, go and at least watch the highlights. Fran Kirby had a day. She scored four goals three of which came in the first half, and I would argue she probably could have had four or five if luck was a little bit even more on her side than it already was. Uh, in between her first and second goal, she had this uh, curler from outside the penalty area that smashed the bar, and it's still shaking, I believe, the last I checked from about a week ago. So that could have been her fifth goal right there, but nevertheless, she made a ton of magic happen. And it was really cool to see. Uh, I, I give a little bit of credit to Sam Kerr because she had uh, assists on two of those. And she was really trying to be unselfish and help Fran score as much as she possibly could. But it, it was almost being unselfish to a fault because I think Sam could have probably had two goals herself. But then she decided to try to feed Fran on the other side of the goal. But can't uh, falter for that too much because at the end of the day, uh, Chelsea ended up cleaning house and winning by a score of five goals to Reading's nil. So... Great day for Chelsea, great day for Fran Kirby, not a great day for Reading, but that's okay. Teams bounce back, they persevere, and they survive. So, my second women's football of the week is going to be a little bit different. I actually had a hard time uh, properly articulating how I was going to word this, but uh, it's going to be Casey Stoney. And I know what you're thinking, Casey Stoney is a manager, why is she the women's footballer of the week? Well, once you're a footballer, you're always a footballer. And... Earlier in the week, this might have even been dripping into last week, but Casey Stoney actually gave an interview where she apologized about letting uh, her Manchester United squad uh, travel for the holiday. Um, her position on things isn't the main takeaway that I had from that. It's just the willingness of a human being 
especially in a position of power like Casey Stoney is to admit that a fault was done and that she learned something from it and that she came forth and apologized that just speaks volumes about her character as a person and it's just another reason for football fans like myself to really just admire who she is not only as a manager but as a person in general it, it, it i i can't say enough positive things about you know the message that she showed it was just to me overall a very mature and very uh articulated way of just going about this situation and that's just something i wanted to bring up in this week's episode of the podcast so those are my two women's footballers of the week that's fran kirby and casey stoney who are your women's footballer or women's footballers of the week feel free to drop down into the comments and of course let me know who you think your women's football of the week is so with that first segment down and out of the way i'm sorry the second segment down and out of the way Let's get into the third one. We're going to go a little off the rails here because as you guys know, I like coffee. I love Dunkin' Donuts. So this is going to be the Dunkin' Order of the Week. This is going to be dedicated to all of you chocolate lovers out there like myself. If you don't know, I have a really bad sweet tooth, which is probably why I like to do this fasting thing so much so I can eat more sweets. But um, I digress. This, is gonna, this Dunkin' Order of the Week is going to include a coffee and a donut. So the coffee is just going to be a regular iced coffee with cream, sugar, but a mocha swirl. And to complement that, it's going to be a chocolate glazed donut. So like I said, for all you chocolate lovers out there, this is a fantastic combination. If you're looking, I know it's wintertime for a lot of us, but if you're just looking for something super sweet and something that really soothes the senses, this particular order is definitely for you. I like to get it pretty often when I go to Dunkin', especially more so in the summertime because... I'm usually coming back from playing soccer somewhere and I'm sweating like crazy and having a coffee and a donut for some reason, it just, it, it calms me down. Like it's just a, a, pl- a place of Zen that it gives me. And I'm like, wow, this is just fantastic. Uh, so that's the Dunkin' order of the week. If you guys like coffee or like Dunkin' Donuts in general too, let me know out in the comments or give this video a thumbs up if you like, because I, I like to connect with all my fellow Dunkin' lovers out there, or even if you like Starbucks or even gas station coffee, that's cool too. We love it all here. So uh, that'll do it for segment three then. That is the Duncan order of the week. So we've got one more segment before we get into our main topics of the evening. And this fourth segment I like to do is just the weekly recap. This is just a summary of all the things that have gone on in the world of women's football, soccer. And I just like to round it off in case anybody's missed any news. So let's get right into it. So uh, last week, a lot of WSL and championship games were called off. The league itself has not been postponed. That's the WSL and the championship over in England. I believe they're trying to do it as if if they can play the games, they will. But if too many cases are going on with the teams that are playing, they'll postpone the games. I don't see them canceling league play at this point. I know they've already canceled non-elite football, but that's just what's been going on. No games for this week have been called off that I know of as of right now. So, uh, as I mentioned earlier, Fran Kirby and Chelsea routed Reading in a 4, I'm sorry, 5-0 win. Fran Kirby scored four of those goals. Ji So Yoon scored the fifth off of a really nice goal. She took it off of her chest with control and put it into the upper 90. It was fantastic to watch. Like I said, watch the highlights if you would like to see what magic happened during that game. A couple of other big things that's been going on. Abby Delkemper signed a deal with Manchester City I can't recall off the top of my head how long the deal was for, but that is something, that is some big, big news. North Carolina Courage ultimately lose their third star after Sam Mewis and Crystal Dunn have also left the club. Now Abby Dahlkemper has gone elsewhere as well. Uh, we'll get into that a little bit later. Uh, Katarina Macario has also signed overseas. She announced this just days before the draft took place. I believe she announced it on Monday that she was going to be signing with Olympic Lyonnais. She has signed with them through 2023. So this is going to be a two and a half year deal, if I'm not mistaken. Really exciting. I'm pumped for her and I can't wait to see what she does. We'll talk about that more later. But keeping it rolling, uh, Lisa Baird gave an interview before the NWSL draft the other day. And in that interview, she announced that Sacramento FC is going to be a thing. They will be joining the NWSL in 2022 as an expansion team. If you guys have been following this for a little while, it's been a story for like a year that the NWSL wanted a team in Sacramento and vice versa. 
but it kept getting stalled. Like I thought it was going to be a 2021 expansion team, but no, they will be a 2022 expansion team. So keep your eyes out for that as well. So keeping it rolling here, FC Kansas City have revealed their inaugural season logo and it is beautiful. I can't put it up on this podcast right now, but if you would like to take a Google search to go ahead and find it, feel free to. Otherwise, it's in the content that I've been posting throughout the week as well. It'll be in my Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn post. It's in there. But however you find it, just find it because it is, it's gorgeous. Uh, rolling on more with NWSL news. Crystal Dunn, Lindsey Horan have both signed new deals with the Portland Thorns, and apparently they're pretty large. Um, I believe in the articles I've been reading, it's saying six figures, so that's really exciting, and I believe it's possible through the new NWSL allocation uh, money guidelines and compensation guidelines, which we'll talk a little bit more about later. Those have been convoluted, and I've been learning a little bit more about it as time has gone on, but I appreciate you guys bearing with me as I learn that new endeavor. So we'll figure it out together, but uh, let's keep it rolling. Uh, as I've mentioned a couple times, the NWSL draft took place yesterday on January 13th. It was really, really long. I, I think what they did was is they overcompensated because in the NWSL expansion draft for Racing Louisville, the whole entire expansion draft literally took an hour, which granted, I'm sure Louisville had all of their picks ahead of time, so how long could it possibly take? But I think they kind of overcompensated and slowed this draft down by a lot, but nonetheless, it happened. They streamed it on Twitch, which it was a pretty good time. I enjoyed seeing 23,000 other people watching and commenting and all that other good stuff. So if you watched the draft, how did you like it? Comment below. Let me know. Uh, The last weekly recap item we have before we get into this evening's main topics, Katarina Macario has now been cleared by FIFA to play in an international play for the United States Women's National Team. So what this basically means is she could get selected as soon as Monday, January 18th for the friendly against Colombia. So really exciting. She's been working on that for a while now. She's got her citizenship. She's got a passport, I believe. And now she's been cleared by FIFA to play. So excellent. Good for Katarina Macario this week. There's a lot been about Katarina Macario, but still really exciting stuff. Okay. So that'll do it for segment four, everybody. That is your weekly recap. Is there any other NWSL news that I might have missed or just women's soccer news in general? Feel free to jump down in the comments as always. All right, so let's get into our main topics for the evening. We've actually got quite a few because of the fact that a lot happened this week. So don't want to keep you guys waiting. Let's get into the first main topic. The first main topic is going to be a match preview of the United States Women's National Team and Colombia's first match on January 18th. So, as I said, United States Women's National Team is going to be playing a friendly against Colombia on January 18th, 7 p.m. Eastern Time, and it's going to be airing on ESPN2. So, for those of you who don't have cable like myself, uh, we'll get creative and try to find ways to watch the game because it's going to be really exciting. But this match is going to be the first of two. The second one takes place just like four or five days later on January 22nd. The math in my head right now just isn't quite working, but um, that second game is going to... I'll probably talk about that in the next episode of the podcast because I believe I'll do an episode between that game and the next game because there will be a lot to talk about. So um, let's let's do a good old lineup prediction. I love to do these before each game, especially for the United States Women's National Team. I've got them not really straying away from their normal formation. I believe they're going to do a 4-3-3. And in that midfield three, there's going to be two central midfielders and a holding midfielder. I just think that's a formula that's been working for them. Why stray away from it? And it seems like Vladko would agree with that because he's been using it for at least a lot of the games that he's been coaching in. So, but enough about that. Who's going to be playing? Who do I think is going to be starting? And who do I think is going to be subbed on for that particular game? So this is my lineup. Starting in goal, I've got Alyssa Nair. In defense, I've got Kelly O'Hara playing in the right back position. Abby Del Kemper playing alongside her in the central defending position. Her paired up with Becky Sauerbrunn also in the central defensive position. And then on the left back position, I've got Crystal Dunn playing. And in the midfield, I've got Juliards playing that defensive holding midfield position alongside Samuels and Roosevelt both playing in the central midfield position. And then finally, in forward, I had the absolute hardest time picking out this group because it's just a toss-up 
Uh, I've got Megan Rapino playing on the left wing, Carly Lloyd playing up uh, up top at the striking position, and then Will, Lynn Williams playing up at the right wing. So before I get to the substitutions, let's just talk about some of the reasoning behind this. I think with this is the, one of the first games in a while since they last played the Netherlands that they've all been together. So I think Vladko's really going to want to go with what he knows as of right now. I don't think he'll get experimental quite yet. Uh, I think as more friendlies and the She Believes Cup comes up that uh, he'll maybe get a little bit more experimental and try to rotate some people around. But part of these friendlies is to not only prepare for the She Believes Cup and see who he wants to play, but I don't think there's any too much that's changed since Netherlands to want to change around this lineup very much. The only things that have really changed is that uh, Carly Lloyd, Kristen Press, Tobin Heath are not, or not, I'm sorry, let me back up. Alex Morgan, Tobin Heath, Kristen Press are not in the lineup because they are they either opted out or they got ill. Um, so that's really the only thing that have changed, so I wouldn't expect the lineup to change too much. Plus, none of the players that I've picked to start, it's not like their forms has really changed either, so there's also that. The reason why I said the forward position was my hardest to pick out is because I can't tell what Vlatko is really going to want to see because he only picked five forwards, I believe. It was Megan Rapino, Carly Lloyd, Lynn Williams, Sophia Smith, and, oh, who am I missing? I'll figure it out later. I'm missing one other person, but um, it's like Carly Lloyd and Megan Rapino haven't played all of 2020, so it's like, okay, does he want them to start so he can see them play? Does he think, is he going to keep them all game? Or are they going to be match fit even to really play? Uh, so there's that, and plus... Uh, I'm sure he'll want to see Lynn Williams into this mix as well because I think we all know that Vlatko really rates her highly. I'm not saying I do or don't agree with that necessarily, but um, that's mainly the reason why I picked her in this lineup. And plus with the lack of depth that he has at this camp in the forward position, um, that just poses some questions that I have. And I'm sure that a lot of other fans have too, is who's he, who's he going to put up top? So um that's just the one part that was racking my brain in this lineup. Other than that, not really a whole ton of surprises. Um, let me know down in the comments, who do you think is going to start this game? And also give me some reasons why, or if you agree or disagree, let me know. I'm all for it. We can have some fun discussion. Okay, so with my lineup prediction up and out of the way, I think he's going to make a few substitutions. I believe he's going to use five of them. If I'm not mistaken, guys, I believe that for international friendlies, you get five substitutions per FIFA laws. If I'm mistaken on that, feel free to jump down in the comments and let me know because I'd be surprised if that wasn't the case. That seems to be the standard for all international play. But nevertheless, my five substitutions I predict are going to be Tierna Davidson, Emily Sonnet, Lindsay Horan, Katerina Macario, and Alana Cook. So if you guys recall in the last episode, I talked, or maybe it was two episodes ago, I talked a lot about why Vladko might have taken so many defenders with him to this January camp, and I think the main reason is he's still trying to weigh his options as to who to uh, who else to take to the Olympics with him. Uh, my pro my projection is going to be that he's going to take six midfield or I'm sorry six defenders with him to the Olympics, apart from Kelly O'Hara, Abby Dahlkemper, Becky Sarber, and Crystal Dunn. I think he's still trying to figure out who's going to occupy those two other defending spots. So, the, with that, I believe he's going to want to see a lot of defenders be subbed on between these two games, and that's why I've got three defenders out of five in my substitutions. And I also think that Tierna and Emily have the biggest chance of being subbed, or I'm sorry, being, hang on, i got to slow down when I talk. I think that Tierna Davidson and Emily Sonnet have some of the biggest chances out of all the defenders to be selected into the international squad for the Olympics. Wow, that was a mouthful. So I think he's going to see them a little bit more than all of the other defenders in this particular camp, but we will cross that bridge when we get there. I think Alana Cook's also going to get subbed on just to get a look. I don't believe Vladko's had a ton of uh, time to see her on the pitch, so that should be really interesting as well. And then as for Lindsay Horan... As far as I'm concerned, she would have been playing in the last friendly against the Netherlands if she didn't get COVID. So I don't see why Vladko wouldn't want to sub her on just to get her some minutes, get her back into the squad as well, because she's one of the best in the world. Why not see her play? And she very well could start. If I if I had to pick, I would predict that she'd start over Rose in case Rose isn't 90 minutes fit. 
Rosa's been battling an injury since she's been at uh, Man City and since the last friendly, so we'll cross that bridge when we get there. Rosa's injuries always surprise me because just when I think she's injured, she's not injured anymore, so that's been really weird, but we'll see. And then lastly, uh, Katerina Macario. Since she has been cleared by FIFA to play, it seems like Vladko has been keen to get her into the squad for the last few camps, so I don't see why he wouldn't sub her on in this case. Probably sub her on for Samuels. This is going to be my bold prediction. I could see him subbing on Katarina Macario into a forward spot. Maybe just to get some fresh legs into the forward line. But maybe he's going to try to do an experiment with her. I don't know. That's a bit of a hot take. Don't take that to the bank, but we'll see. Okay. So, at the end of the day, guys, the biggest uh, takeaways that I had from picking out this roster for this particular match was that it's really tough because... It, it, it you, there's really no way to tell if a lot of these players are nine minutes fit. Like I said, a lot of them are returning from injuries. Some of them haven't played for all of 2020, so like a whole calendar year. So uh, time is really going to tell to see. I would imagine that they wouldn't be able to play if they weren't healthy. I'm not saying that they're not healthy. I'm just saying, can they make it through the whole 90 minutes without collapsing, basically? That, that just happens because when you're running around for 90 plus minutes, it can get really tiring and really hard on your body. So we'll see. We will cross that bridge when we get to it. Are you excited for the United States Women's National Team game? Comment below, let me know. And uh, what are your thoughts on the upcoming match? Roster predictions, whatever it may be, don't be shy. Okay, so that'll do it for the first segments of the evening. Let's get into the second segment. That second segment is going to be Abby Delkemper's deal with Manchester City. So like I said earlier in the segments, Abby Delkemper has left the North Carolina Courage of the NWSL and has joined... Manchester City by signing a, I believe it was a multi-year deal, if I'm not mistaken. And it sounds like she'll be joining the team in the very near future. Not sure, not sure how far in the near future. I would imagine it, it would at minimum be February because of January camp, but it could be even later because of the She Believes Cup, but we'll see. But nonetheless, uh, my pure reactions. I am super excited for Abby Dahlkemper. I think that she was ready to take on a new challenge in her career, and she's been going really steady with the United States Women's National Team. I think I saw a stat. She's played, like, the last 50-something matches for the United States, which is no small feat at all. Some players don't even get 50 caps in their entire career, so I'm really excited to see her take her career to new heights, try something different, get her outside her comfort zone, try a different league, expand her game, and really expand her growth as a player. I think that when Becky Sarburn leaves, she's going to be the leader of this back line for years to come. And I think she's ready to take that challenge head on. And I think that this move for her is just proof of that. So uh, super pumped for her overall. Uh, and I can't wait to see really what she does. Plus, she's proven at North Carolina that she can take penalties. So I'm interested to see if she'll ever take one for City. That'll be excellent. Okay, so now let's give reactions from a team standpoint both both North Carolina and Manchester City. For North Carolina, they're going to be hurting. I believe that their franchise is going to start to dwindle a little bit. Reason being is because they've lost one of the best center defenders in the world in Abby Kemper. They've lost Crystal Dunn, one of the best versatile players in the entire world. And then the Tower of Power, Sam Uis, the one of the best midfielders in the world. That's three key pieces in your lineup that you don't want to lose, especially when you have a foothold, when you have a foothold in the league like they do in the NWSL. I would say the biggest remaining players for North Carolina are going to be Dabinia and Lynn Williams. I don't see Lynn Williams really leaving the NWSL. Dabinia is another story, though, because Dabinia, I think, has really performed well enough to the point where I think she's one of the best in the world, like top 20. Like In my mind, that's how good I think Dabinia is. So if offers come and knock, and I could see Dabinia being tempted to leave, However, if she's happy in North Carolina and doesn't want to go anywhere, then she won't. But that, those are just some of my thoughts. I, I'm not speculating at all. I'm not saying that Dabini wants to leave. I'm not saying she will leave. I'm just saying if anybody would be leaving, I could see it being Dabini as well. But North Carolina fans, I'm very sorry that you keep losing players. Hopefully they'll still have a really good uh, squad and really good season coming up, and I'm sure they will. Okay, so now that we've explored the North Carolina side of, side of things, what about Manchester City? So, with the addition of Abby Dahlkemper, Manchester City's line is, like, rock solid. I mean, they've got, I'd argue, at minimum, four world-class defenders in their lineup now. 
Uh, they've got Lucy Bronze, Alex Greenwood, Steph Houghton, and now Abby Delkemper. You could make a case for Demi Stokes. You could make a case for Demi Stokes because she's consistently played for England, at least as far as I know. And she's not a bad defender by any means. And I, I, I like her style of play. If I had to guess what that back line is going to look like now with the addition of Abby Dahlkemper, I've got Lucy Bronze playing at the right back. I've got Steph Houghton playing alongside her in central defense. I've got Abby Dahlkemper paired with Steph Houghton in central defense. And then I've got Alex Greenwood playing in the left back position as well. Now, I know Alex Greenwood has, by and large, played a lot of central defending as well. I just think with their system now with the addition of Abby Dahlkemper, this fits a lot more. Uh, for United, if I'm not mistaken, I believe Alex Greenwood actually played a lot of outside back too, so it's not like this is a totally foreign thing for her. And Alex is versatile enough of a player to really excel in any position in the back line, and I would argue she could probably even play on the wing, but um, that's the main focus that I've got for that. And I think that overall, it's been really interesting because if you've been watching some of City's WSL games this season, there's been a couple of occasions where their back line or maybe their midfield has just miscommunicated with each other, and they've given up some really poor um, possession, some really poor passes. They've coughed it up, and a lot of times it leads to a goal. Give you a couple examples. When they played Bristol City, I can't remember who it was that gave the ball up, but gave the ball up to Ebony Salmon, and she scored. They were already up like 7-0, so it didn't matter, but when it does matter, like in situations against Manchester United, it comes back to bite you. Another example, Lucy Bronze uh, coughed up a pass to Tobin Heath, and it was a, it was just a poor giveaway, so Tobin Heath grabbed it and scored, and they ended up drawing that game when City really needed three points, and they only came away with one. So I think that with the addition of Dahlkemper, it's really going to pose new challenges for the entire back line. It's going to introduce some new ideas and just more talent. I think Abby Dahlkemper is probably the second most talented defender in that squad now, aside from Lucy Bronze, of course. That's how high I am on uh, Abby Dahlkemper. I think she's fantastic. So the reality of it is she's just going to she's going to put she's going to push the players to their limits when you when you get introduced variables as a player i'm only speaking for my limited athletic experience but when you get posed new challenges a lot of times you want to rise to the occasion you need to prove that you belong in the squad and you need to play well not saying that abby dalkemper won't have to she certainly will but with how talented she is it won't take long before she's in the squad and i think defenders who are in that running are going to take notice and they're going to elevate their game and so is everybody else Plus, in addition, it's going to be really interesting to see the dynamic between her and Sam Uis because as you guys know and how I mentioned earlier, they've been teammates for North Carolina for years now and also in the United States women's national team. So I expect a really good connection there. And then plus Roosevelt, if, if uh, Gareth Taylor would have her player in center mid, uh, the three of them could have a really interesting dynamic too. I still don't know why he doesn't play her in center mid. That makes no sense, but that's a rant for a different time. I just feel bad for Rose. She's always hurt and they always play where she doesn't want to play. But I digress. Um, I think this is a good move for City overall. I think that they're really pushing for a title. They're into that top four now. They're starting to creep up on Arsenal. They're starting to creep up on Chelsea and United. And they need to do something. Is it the ideal move? I don't think necessarily, but um, it certainly helps. It certainly helps, and that's an absolute fact. I've seen some City fans that I follow that I know of say that they needed some attacking help. And it's really strange. I don't see that because it's like City's goal difference, if you haven't looked at it lately, is quite big. It's like plus double digits at least. They score a lot. So I don't really think that's the issue. And I just think you can either score more goals, you can let less go across. And at least as long as you commit to one of those moves, you're going to be fine. To me, this is City committing to letting fewer goals across. Because a lot of times when you need those points, that's defense wins championships, and that's really what matters. But um, overall, super, super pumped for Abby Dahlkemper. Can't wait to see what City does for her. Or, yeah, what City does for her and she does for City, as long as they don't beat Man United, because I'm a Man United fan, as you guys know. But I digress. Good luck to her. So that'll do it for the second main topic, guys. And that's all about Abby Dahlkemper. So, with that down and out of the way, let's get into the third main topic of the evening. 
And this is going to switch gears a little bit because it's going to be all about Katarina Macario's new deal to Olympic Lyonnais. So, as you guys know, last Friday, Katarina Macario announced her decision to leave the Stanford Cardinal and forego her senior season, her spring senior season, I guess you should say, for the NCAA. And shortly thereafter, she signed with a sports agency called A&V Sports. Now, what really made people uh, suspicious that she was going to make the move over to Europe is because A&V Sports has a lot of European big-name clients. Sam Kerr, Caitlin Ford are just a couple of the names that I know off the top of my head. Feel free to go on their website if you want to know more. I believe they represent Ada Hagerberg, too, which makes sense because Ada Hagerberg plays for Olympic Leonese. Now Katarina Macario does, too. But that was a sign that she's going to go overseas. And now... It's come to fruition. She signed a two-and-a-half-year deal through 2023, and I I think it's an excellent decision. I think with this particular move, she can expand the amount of money she makes. The, the ceiling on that is going to be ever, ever growing, especially if she shines and does really well on this world stage. And it expands her game. It gives her a chance to play amongst the world's best team with the world's best teammates, the best competitions in the world in Europe, the Champions League I'm mostly speaking of. And it gives her a, a chance to play in the French League, which I have my opinions on that league in general, but still one of the better leagues in the world. It's a really cool rivalry when they play against PSG all the time. So I think for Katarina Macario, that made that move made the absolute most sense. I could not be more and more excited for her. I've seen a couple of different speculative pieces and just remarks from fans saying, or just wondering, asking the question like, okay, so with how good of a team Olympic Lyonnais is. They dominate. They've won. They've only lost like one time in the last four years in their league play. Um, is there room for Katarina Cario in the squad? So I'm going to preface my argument by saying this. At the end of the day, you've got to prove your worth in the squad. You have to play well. You have to be in form. But you also have to be talented. talented talent always wins, especially when it comes to sports. If you're the most talented play person in that position or on that field, at the end of the day, you will play bar none. No other considerations. That's about it. So with that in mind, I think Katarina Macario will see at least some, if not a ton of playing time. When you look at Olympic Leonese's roster, there's a few players leaving. And the reality is, as of right now, as of today, they really only have six midfielders which is really uncharacteristic for them. The reason I say that is because they've got nine defenders, they've got nine forwards, but only six midfielders. So they, I think with this move, they felt the need to kind of bulk up their midfield a little bit and get another star, and I think Katarina Macario will prove to be that star for them. Um, she joins really strong company, the likes of Amadine Henri, uh, Zena from Rotson, uh, Sarah Bjorg, Gunnar Stattir. I am totally butchering some of these names, so I apologize, guys. Um, Sally Giulini, Amel Majri, and Saki Kumagai. Although those are fantastic players across the world, I still think, this is a bit of a hot take considering that Katarina Macario hasn't played professionally yet, I could see Katarina Macario being in the top half of that group, for sure. Uh, specifically, what I envision, this is assuming Olympic Leonese plays a 4-3-3, is I can see a trio between Macario, Henri, and Marison eventually. I think it'll happen eventually. Like I said, like, like you guys know this. I've said this in the last few episodes. I'm extremely high on Katarina Macario as well. I think she's going to be a monster, a star-studded talent for years to come. I think she is the future. So with that, I can see the three of them basically linking up in the midfield and just absolutely dominating and crushing every midfield known to man, especially since Amadine Henri is more of a central defending midfielder by trade, so she can lock down defense and Macario can... Uh, playing the attacking role, and so can uh, Zenifer too. So there's a lot of potential there, and there's a lot of opportunities for growth. And with that trio, barring that all of them stay and play together, it's going to be unstoppable, more unstoppable than an Olympic Leonese already is. It, 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 I encourage you guys to go look at the roster. Like My words don't do it justice. It's just so stacked up and down the board. So for now, I will say that Katarina Macario, she's going to have to fight her way into the squad she's gonna have to prove her worth but at the end of the day I think she will get there I think she will shine I think she will succeed and I think there will be a ton of room in the squad and a ton of minutes awaiting her into the future but 
I want to know what you guys think. Do you guys think Katarina Macario will see a ton of playing time at Olympic Lyonnais, at least in her first year? Let me know down in the comments and let me know your thoughts. All right, guys. So with that third segment down out of the way, let's get into some other main segments of the evening. These are going to be some NWSL ones. And let's just jump in. So welcome to the fourth main topic. The fourth main topic I've titled is going to be, is the NWSL falling behind in terms of their compensation structure? So as you guys have known in past episodes, I've pretty frequently talked about um, the situation with Katarina Macario and whether or not she would stay or go and how the NWSL pay structure gets in the way of that. And also for these other players, with Abby Dahlkamper leaving, with Sam Mewis leaving, Kristen Tobin, is that an indicator that the NWSL is falling behind? Are these players not being compensated enough? Is the NWSL not giving the players enough power in order to play their best game? Because as you guys know, the NWSL has playing rights they've got um, that they hold on to and they restrict you to, and they've also got salary caps, and there's it's there's just so, so much restriction that the NWSL has. So with all of that in mind, and I've thought about this a lot, I think the NWSL is behind. I don't think they are continuing to fall behind though. I think they are catching up really slowly, but surely. Let me explain why a little bit. So like I said, right now, I don't believe the NWSL in its own right has the resources or the money to keep these international stars in the league. Like I said, Sam Mewis, Abby Dahlkemper, Kristen Press, Tobin Heath, Caitlin Ford, Sam Kerr. The list just keeps growing. Rachel Daly, if she decides to stay at uh, West Ham. So they're making strides. They, they're definitely getting better at getting more resources. The first evidence of this is their increased salary cap. So... Since 2019, it's gone up about 20%. It used to be about 420, or I'm sorry, 450-ish thousand dollars. Now it's gone up about 19.33% to 650 thousand dollars. So that's giving you the opportunity to give more players at least more money. If you guys don't know what a salary cap is, because I know a lot of listeners are from abroad, a salary cap is essentially a set amount of money that each team in the NWSL can use per year to pay each of their players. So for example, if you've got 20 players on your NWSL roster, when you add up all of their wages, it can't be greater than $650,000. That's what the salary cap is. So inevitably, you're left with this problem here where if you play one player a ton of money, you are forced to give the rest of your players less money. When you've got international stars that just want to make an infinite ceiling with their money, a salary cap is is the devil. <laughs> there's no there's no better way to put it. It 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 puts a ceiling on how much money you can make. Players don't like that. They've worked their whole lives, their whole as since they were young kids to fulfill their dreams and play at the world's biggest stages. So they don't want to be sold short here. They don't want to be paid less than what they deserve and what they have earned. So the salary cap is not an attractive option. But at the end of the day, when you're increasing it you're providing more players the opportunity to make more money. So it's getting better. Now, they've also increased their minimum and maximum amount on their contracts. Uh, They've increased the league minimum to $20,000 per year, and they've also increased the league max to $50,000 per year. Now, in terms of the salary cap and the arguments I just laid out, that doesn't sound like a lot of money, but there's always exceptions to the rules. So for example... They've also introduced the con- the con- the concept of allocation money. So what this basically does is you each team can purchase up to $300,000 in allocation money. You can trade for more. As far as I understand, you can get more. But what you can do is that salary cap, that $650,000, you can go to your team. You can use all of that to just pay your players. Or you can also use allocation money to lure bigger names into your club and pay them above the league uh, maximum, which is $50,000, which is why allocation money is such a big deal, right? And that's why Lindsey Horan and Crystal Dunn were able to sign such big six-figure deals. Let me back up just a little bit here. 
a little bit here. I want to be clear. So the NWSL, by introducing this concept of allocation money, is catching up on the world stage. Here's why. So what teams can do is if they've got a big international star, such as a U.S. Women's National Team player or a player that's from abroad, and they want to lure them to the club, what they can do is they can use this allocation money. This allocation money is essentially like an all bets are off. You can pay these players whatever you want as long as you have the allocation money for it. So, for example, if Chicago Red Stars tomorrow wanted to lure Sam Kerr back to Chicago and they had $300,000 in allocation money for the year left over, they could pay, hypothetically, they could pay Sam Kerr all $300,000 of that allocation money for just one season of playing. Now, if they wanted to lure Sam Kerr and, say, uh, Abby Delkemper to Chicago, they could pay them, between the two, they could pay them up to, like, they could pay one $299,999 and the other $1, but the point is they could pay them both $150,000 if they want to with that allocation money. And the best part is you can trade to get more if you want to get up to $500,000 in allocation money. If you trade and play your cards out, you probably could. I don't believe that's changed since I've researched this particular topic, but if it has, let me know down in the comments. So essentially you have this supply of allocation money you can offer to USM's national team or international stars to give them more money and to lure them to the league. So you're there's still that ceiling if the, as to how much money they can make, but at least the ceiling is growing, if that makes any sense. So this is a way to kind of breach the league maximum contract and play these players more money and get them more involved and enticed to play in the league. So there's also that. The other issue that doesn't get solved really is allocation, or not allocation money, I'm sorry. Um, international competitions, but that's a whole another story altogether. But there are some caveats with uh, allocation money. So you can use allocation money. I'm just, I'm reading this directly off of my notes because I want to make sure I get this right. You can use allocation money for players whose contract is larger than the league maximum. So if they get paid more than $50,000 a year. And they're also not U.S. or Canadian allocated, meaning they don't play for the United States Women's National Team or the Canadian National Team. So there's a workaround to this, but I'll get into that in one second. So in order to, in order for a player to get paid allocation money, that big pool of money we just talked about, they can't be U.S. or uh, Canadian Women's National Team players, and they also have to meet one or more of the following criteria. They've got to be in the NWSL best 11 or second 11 in one of the two most recent seasons. They've got to be an international player who has made a cap for their national team in the last 24 months. They were the NWSL MVP, the Golden Boot, Rookie of the Year, Defender of the Year for one of the two most recent seasons. So they have won, had to have won one of those awards in the last two years. Uh, also domestic players who have at least played five seasons in the NWSL. So for example, if you are just a, a player who is from the United States, you've never made an appearance for the United States on national team, but you've played in the league for five years, you could receive allocation money. Players who were former U.S. or Canadian women's national players can also be awarded allocation money. A good example of this is Sydney LaRue and Amy Rodriguez. They could receive allocation money. And also... Last but not least, players previously on a contract that included allocation money. So if your player has received allocation money in the past, they're automatically eligible to receive it in the future, which makes sense because if you take, why would anybody take a pay cut, right? So you might be wondering, okay, Bryce, you just said that with the introduction of allocation money, it attracts all of, it attracts you as some national team players and all these international players, but Clearly in the criteria, it says that you can't use the allocation money on U.S. or Canadian allocated players. There's a loophole in this. There's a very, very important loophole in this. And if any of you know this better than I do, feel free to jump down in the comments to correct me. But the one loophole in this is that United States Women's National Team players, and I believe Canadian international players, can do what they call not declare federation status. What that means is that, as far as I know, if you're a United States Women's National Team player, you can declare what they call federation status, 
What I believe that means is you can go under contract with U.S. soccer as a U.S. women's national team player. If you do that, you are not eligible for that allocation money, if I am not mistaken. But if you do not declare that federation status, you are technically not a U.S. or Canadian allocated player, which is weird. It's a weird loophole. Like I said, guys, if I'm totally watching this, feel free to jump down in the comments. Give me your sources. I'm willing to talk about this all day long. But by not declaring that status, you are not technically a U.S. or Canadian allocated player, which means you are eligible to receive allocation money because you will more than likely fit one of the other criteria. Two cases in point. This is exactly why Crystal Dunn and Lindsay Horan were able to sign those big deals with Portland. I don't believe either one of them declared for Federation status, and that's why they're able to sign these six-figure deals because they most certainly fit at least one of these criteria that I've just certainly laid out. So um, that's where this is all coming in. So let's kind of round this out a little. Crystal Dunn and Lindsay Horan... And this introduction of allocation money is evidence that the NWSL, while they are behind right now in, in keeping and attracting international and U.S. Uh, soccer stars, they're not falling behind. I think they're slowly but surely catching up. And this piece of allocation money and their new compensation guidelines is it's an attractive. It, it it gets to be more of an attractive options for players because it raises the ceiling at which how much you can get paid for a year in the NWSL. So overall, guys, I know that was a bit of a long-winded and really confusing discussion, so I apologize for that. I'm going to link the article that I just uh, laid out that specifies what exactly allocation money is used for. I'm going to link that article down in the description below so you can do some of your own reading if you're more curious. But do you guys think the NWSL is falling behind in terms of attracting international talent and keeping international talent? Let me know down in the comments below. Let's talk and let me know your thoughts. All right, guys. Thank you so much for sticking with me for that through that fourth main topic. I know that was a lot to unpack. Let's get into the next main topic. This is going to be our second to last main topic of the evening, and it's going to be the NWSL draft. So the fifth main topic is the NWSL draft. It was a momentous occasion. It was a ton of fun, guys. If you got the chance to watch it on Twitch, I congratulate you because, one, you made it through. I believe the draft was almost four hours long. It started at 7 p.m. Eastern. I don't believe it got done till close to 11 p.m. Eastern, maybe even later, if I'm not mistaken. If I'm being honest, I did not stay up for the whole thing. <laughs> I had to go to work the next morning, and I just wasn't about it. So um, if you watched all four rounds, like I said, congrats to you. That's phenomenal. Um some big highlights. Emily Fox went number one to racing Louisville. She got that announcement as she was at United States Women's National Team Camp with some of her teammates around her. I believe the previous two number one picks were sitting next to her, which I think was kind of funny because the Sophia Smith was on her right. And I can't remember who was on her left, but I thought that was really, really cool. Uh, some of the other first-round picks, Trinity Rodman went number two to Washington Spirit. Um, Brianna Pinto went number three to Sky Blue. And those are the top three picks. I think they're, of course, excellent, excellent picks. But congrats to all the players. Um, my initial thoughts: one of the most, um, one of the most shocking things to me, as I adjust this microphone a little bit, about the draft was actually the fourth pick. The reason being is because Sky Blue was taking a really long time to do their fourth pick, and we're all wondering what the heck is taking them so long because they had the third and the fourth pick. And when you've got the first four picks in the draft, you more than likely have a blueprint laid out for who you're going to pick. So they're wondering what was going on. Well, they ended up making a trade, if I'm not mistaken. And I believe that trade was with Kansas City. And what they got in this trade was Kansas City got the fourth pick in the draft, which I believe they used to pick up Kiki Pickett, which is a great trade. But Sky Blue received $175,000 in allocation money. Oh my God, that is a lot of money. $175,000, guys, in allocation money. That That's more than half of what you can purchase from a league. Like That's huge. That is a lot of money. They I give Sky Blue full marks on this because they turned that fourth pick on its head and they made a ton of money off of it. it, it it's just amazing to me that they got that big of a deal for the fourth pick in the draft. I... By no means do I think the fourth pick overall in an NWSL draft is worth $175,000. 
to give you guys some context, I believe Kelly O'Hare and Kristen Press left Utah for seventy five thousand, and they are bona fide international studs. So that really puzzled me that Kansas City was willing to give up one hundred seventy five thousand dollars for the fourth pick. Until I went uh, looking a little bit deeper into some context, and Jeff Kasu from the Equalizer elaborated on Twitter saying that Kansas City inherited like $224,000 from the Utah Royals franchise now that they've dissolved and now that they are Kansas City. So, and then they, they're also getting access to another $400,000 next year too. So they had a lot of money to spare. 624K in allocation money is a lot. And for Kiki Pickett, they must have thought that she was worth it for the 175K. They probably thought we've got so much money, we might as well use it. So that's where it it came out. So, I mean, for both teams at the end of the day, it's a win-win. I just think Kansas City could have given half of that and still gotten the fourth pick. So, I mean, good for Sky Blue because they were floating in the money after that first round and good on Kansas City because they got an excellent fourth pick. So, that's just some initial thoughts on that. Another thing, too, is if you guys had had the pleasure of watching and seeing all the war rooms that they were going around for each team, you will have noticed that in Sky Blue's war room. They had uh, Meg Linehan's cardboard cutout in the background, which is just so wholesome, so wonderful. It was amazing. I'm like, wow, uh, that that's just cool. For those of you who don't know who Meg Linehan is, Meg Linehan, I would argue, is one of like three or four, maybe even one of two full-time women's soccer fo- uh, slash football uh, journalists in the United States. So she covers the NWSL a, a, a lot, and so does Jeff Kasuf. Jeff, Jeff Kasuf is part of the Equalizer group that I mentioned last week, but yeah, Meg Linehan covers the league a lot, and a lot of NWSL fans at least know of her. And I just thought it was really cool that the league is in Sky, the Sky Blue organization obviously is so fond of her that they decided to put her cardboard cutout into the war room during the draft for all of us to see. So that was just kind of fun. I think it gave the NWSL draft overall a really fun vibe. I certainly had a ton of fun watching it. I hope you guys did too. And. Speaking of energy and all that other stuff, I, I got to give credit to Lisa Baird. From pick number one to pick to the last pick, Lisa Baird's energy in, in announcing each and every pick was a 10 out of 10. What to recommend. She brought the heat the entire event, and I was just so impressed by her ability. She seems like she really believes in the league. She really loves her job. And as an NWSL fan, that's really... And as a women's soccer fan in general, that's really... Um, exciting because it gives you something to look forward to that the league has got this spark it's got its energy into it and it's got a commissioner that believes in it and what it's trying to do so good on lisa baird i think she did an excellent job hosting the her first draft as an nwsl commissioner correct me if i'm wrong on that this might be the second because i don't know if she did the 2020 did they have a 2020 draft i can't even remember but um good honor overall i think lisa baird did a fantastic job of course there were some awkward moments and moments of transition in there this is probably the first time they've ever done something virtual to this scale before. So, I mean, I could not have done it any better than they could have. But I just noticed that sometimes they'd fumble a little bit. And I'm like, ooh, but that's all right. Uh, all of us NWSL fans, we're here for a chill, good time. There's no judgment involved. We just we just have fun and we all we all love this great game. So, um, so after some of those uh, positives, I will say, I'll, I'll digress to some of the cons. That draft is long as hell. <laughs> and, and I'm sorry, guys, I usually don't curse too much. But yeah, that draft was long as hell. It was it was so, so long. It, it, let, let, let's put this into context. The expansion draft for Racing Louisville took one hour. It was it was almost too short. Like the, There was no time for anticipation or really excitement. As soon as you'd look down at your phone to check something between picks, the two picks have already gone by you. Like it, it, They did 14 picks in an hour. For the expansion draft, it was insane. And for this draft, I think they had gotten a lot of that feedback, the NWSL, and they overcompensated. So I think they maybe made this too long. They gave five minutes for each pick, which is way too long. They gave they gave teams timeouts, and they sure used them. They used them quite a bit because this this was this puppy was long. And I think that if they're going to keep uh, draft picks and letting teams pick. For that long and also introducing timeouts they either need to a cut down on that time or b they need to separate these rounds into different days if 
if they go with option B and they separate in different days, I would do round one on day one, round two on day two, and then round three and four on day three or something like that. And if they decide to shorten the picks, obviously you can just do it all in one day. But wow, that was that was that was a long time. They'll get better at it as time goes on. Of course, it's not like I minded it being that long because the beauty about watching it virtually is you can turn it off, turn it on whenever you want, and if you miss on any of the action, you can always look the next day online. So overall, I got, I gotta say that the draft I really enjoyed it and I had a great time watching it. I had a lot more fun with it than I ever thought I would, and. It, it almost makes me feel guilty because I'm of the mindset that overall the NWSL draft shouldn't really be a thing. I do not think that for the promotion of the overarching game and to attract the top talent, I don't think that one player's rights, playing rights should be a thing, and I don't think draft should be a thing. I just think teams should have really the free reign to go out and sign uh, any players across the world to any amount of money that they that the team can really afford. I think that that's how you get the best talent to your leagues, and I think that's how you get uh, the best competition in the world. And I think by the end of sale, keeping these drafts, it gives them some uniqueness, but it's also at a bigger cost than what it's worth. Having said that, what makes me feel really guilty about feeling that way is there's nothing more heartwarming and just wonderful than seeing the moments when these collegiate players or some of these even under 20s players like Trinity Rodman, seeing their dreams come true, their lifelong dreams of sacrificing so many hours, the sacrifice that they've made, sacrifice their parents made to make it to a professional setting and get paid to play the game that they love. Their reactions and their interview, they're just so priceless. Seeing that moment with their families is just something that I obviously, as a fan, will never will never feel but wow just seeing them and like the, you know they're shedding tears they're hugging their families they're all so happy it, it's just a phenomenal thing to see the reaction and if there's no drafts there's there's no there's none of those moments so there's that um with that in mind i don't think the draft is going to go anywhere for a long long time so if you're a big fan of those moments like i am it's good news but um at the end of the day that's just kind of how i'm feeling about it what are your guys' thoughts on the draft? I hope you had a ton of fun watching it. Jump down in the comments below. Let me know your thoughts. All right, guys. So with the NWSL draft thoughts down and out of the way, that is that is it for our fifth main topic. Let's get into our sixth main topic. Our sixth main topic is going to be the FAWSL Match Week number 12 preview. As you guys know, I was going. I usually put out an article each and every week in written form on the blog, that's bankrupthippo.blogspot.com. Uh, and I just give in writing what my match week preview is. And I believe I'll do the same this week too, but I figured I'd give it on the podcast and on YouTube as well. If you're watching on a uh, video, what my predictions are for going to be this week. Hopefully I'm predicting more games will get played this week than last week in the WSL because of all the coronavirus cases that went on. Then again, if players are still sick, games still might be getting postponed. If they aren't postponed already and I'm just missing it. But nevertheless, let's see what we've got going on. So, the first match of the weekend, Manchester City, Aston Villa. I've got Manchester City beating Aston Villa 3-0. to nil. Manchester City has had not really a trouble, a ton of trouble scoring. And they've put on excellent displays against Villa before. And Aston Villa has been really, really inconsistent. I just think they're going to get overpowered by Manchester City, and that's why I'm predicting the scoreline of 3-0. Moving on to Everton and Bristol City. Bristol City doesn't have a prayer this season. I'm so sorry for all of my Bristol City fans that are listening right now. They've had an awful season. I believe now they're up to a minus 39 goal difference, and I'm afraid that for this week it's not going to get much better. I've got Everton beating Bristol City also by a score of 3-0. I think overall... I know Everton's been playing really poorly, but I just don't think Bristol City is going to have enough to match them. I think this is going to be a big confidence boost for Everton. They're going to look forward to playing against maybe some weaker competition after playing against some really tough competition. And they're going to go out, and this is going to be a start of an upward trend for them. So I think that they're going to uh, defeat Bristol pretty convincingly this week. Okay, so now let's move on to the next game of the week, which is going to be Birmingham City against Brighton and Hove Albion. This is going to be my... I would say the least interesting game of the week. The reason being is both teams are kind of mid-table and neither one of them have been particularly exciting teams this year. I've got Birmingham City beating Brighton and Hove Albion by a score of 2-1. to 
I don't think that neither team have really shown a ton of conviction, a ton of uh, grit, and and the ability to score a ton this season. I don't think Birmingham scored, or maybe it's Bright. I don't think Brighton has scored above a goal this season, like in a game, meaning. Like they haven't scored more than one goal per game throughout the season yet, and I don't think that's going to change here. But then again, it's really going to depend on what team is going to show up. Really, this game's a toss-up. It could go anybody's way, but I'm going to guess Birmingham City is going to have this one. So, guys, uh, moving on to the next one, Reading and Arsenal. Uh, Reading just came off of a thrashing against Chelsea, and after this weekend, they're going to be coming off of a thrashing against Arsenal. I have got Arsenal beating Reading by a score of 4-0. to nil. It's crunch time right now in the top in the top four. Uh between there's not very many points between United, Chelsea, why am I blanking right now? Arsenal and Manchester City. So every game is gonna count, and I Arsenal typically doesn't lose the games that they should win, and they don't draw the games that they should win. They usually beat the opponents that they should beat each and every week. And after Reading just lost really poorly to Chelsea, I don't see a reason why they wouldn't lose to Arsenal. Uh barring that Arsenal can field the team, the game doesn't get postponed, but I think Arsenal need to win here to really stay relevant in the title race. And I think um, them capitalizing on the fact that Chelsea just uh, destroyed Reading in the previous week will help give them that push. So I've got Arsenal winning this one really comfortably. Now, let's move on to the fifth game of the week, which is going to be Chelsea and Manchester United. This is my game of the week. However, as a Manchester United fan, every Man United game is the game of the week. But all joking aside, I've got... This one ending in a draw, much like it did earlier on in the season. I've got this game ending to Chelsea 2, Manchester United 2. The reason being is both teams have been playing absolutely out of their minds lately. Fran Kirby, Sam Kerr on Chelsea side, Leah Galton, Tobin Heath on the United side. And I think United, and I've said this before, I think United are the stronger defending team. Defense historically has shown us that usually wins these big matches, but I think that both teams are just on such a high right now that they're not going to be able to uh, leg out either either side. So I, I've got this game ending in a draw and the table not really changing a ton. So it's going to be a really, really interesting one. That's going to definitely be the game that I'm watching really, really closely this weekend. Hopefully it happens. But let's move on to the last game of the weekend in the WSL. It's going to be West Ham United against Tottenham. I've also got this one ending in a 2-2 draw. The reason being is that although both teams are like middle-bottom table, they're both playing in great form. They tend to perform okay against uh, worse, like worse competition below them in the table. They tend to perform meh against better competition that, against them in the table. So they're both pretty equal teams, and I don't think either one of them is going to have uh, one sense of supremacy over the other. Maybe I give West Ham a bit of a nudge here because they performed really well against Chelsea a couple weeks ago so there's that they've got that to the resume but then again Tottenham have won the last two games by a score of three to one so only time is going to tell all right guys we have made it through another podcast episode this was episode four which I have no idea what I'm going to title it yet you will find out on the pod or on YouTube probably really shortly when I post this tonight I am going to try to post this tonight on all those platforms on YouTube, Spotify, and Anchor. Sometimes I've been having trouble with YouTube lately on getting these videos up and running because, I, like I said, this is only my fourth episode. I've been kind of new to this, so that's how that's been going. But I appreciate all of your guys' patience, and especially for all those of you who have been listening. I just greatly appreciate your time and really appreciate you listening to the podcast and just participating in the fandom. It really means a lot. As a Woso fan myself, and not knowing a ton of in-person Woso fans, it's been awesome to join this community and just get to know people who share that same interest. So uh, if you guys are looking for more consistent content, uh, I am on TikTok, I'm on Instagram, I'm on Twitter, I'm on Facebook, and I'm also on LinkedIn. For those of you who are curious, I post daily videos pretty much across all women's soccer leagues, all women's football leagues, all kinds of fun content that's a little bit lighthearted and just on the fun side. I also like to break some news that's been out there as well. Uh, a lot of the news I get is usually from the Equalizer, like from the likes of Jeff Kasuf and Meg Linehan. So if you're looking for more consistent content, that is your place. If you guys like this podcast and you want to give it a thumbs up, or if you'd like to subscribe, comment, or whatever, or if you absolutely hate this podcast and want to give it a thumbs down or comment, that's totally cool too. As long as you guys are having fun and enjoying 
That's all that really matters. And I just appreciate you guys being here. So that'll do it for me this week, everybody. I greatly appreciate your time. Enjoy the United States Women's National Team match coming up on Monday. And we'll talk to you in the next episode. I've been Bryce. This has been the Women's Soccer Football Podcast. Signing off. Have a great day.